Thank you, Lars. Okay, today's uh, reading is from the, uh, the scriptures from uh, Exodus chapter 7, uh, from verse 1 to uh, 13. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, to, uh, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by, grace, uh, by, by great acts of judgment. The, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the uh, people of Israel from among them, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just uh, as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of the Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their steps. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Thank you, Hijam. Um, so, as you may have noticed, Pastor Eric isn't here today. Um, he's gone to visit uh, Emmanuel English Church, which is in Tokwa Wan. Um, conversely, we have our guest speaker today, Pastor Evangel, who's here to join us. Um, Pastor Evangel is no stranger to us. Uh, he's preached at our church um, a couple of times. So, uh, Pastor Evangel, we want to welcome you back. It's wonderful to have you here with us uh, this morning. Um, so just as a quick background, um, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Evangel and Pastor Eric are really good friends. And every now and then they do a pulpit swap. Uh, so Pastor Evangel comes here to preach at our church and, and Pastor Eric will go to his church. Um, so before I continue, um, or before I hand over uh, the mic to Pastor Evangel, I'm just gonna send everyone um, Pastor Evangel's notes for the sermon today. Uh, just give me a thumbs up when you get it, it's a PDF file. Got it? Okay, great. And uh, before I hand it over to Pastor Evangel, I'm just going to pray. Uh, let's, let's all pray for Pastor Evangel. Um, Lord, we're, we're thankful for, for this pulpit swap because we, we get to have guest speakers like um, Pastor Evangel uh, come here. Lord, we're thankful for um, your work at Emmanuel English Church at Tokwa Wan. We're grateful that they're able to meet in person and happened since early April. Um, Lord, I pray that your will would be done at Emmanuel English Church. Lord, that uh, every... Uh, person who walks into that church would discover you, would um, uh, learn to walk closely uh, with you, and learn what it means 
uh, Lord, to live um, in salvation through Jesus Christ. Um, Lord, um, we want to lift up Pastor Evangel to you this morning. Lord, I pray that as he comes up to speak, Lord, that um, your word would be spoken through him um, and that your name would be glorified. Thank you. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over to you, Pastor Evangel. All right. Well, good morning, Bridge Church. So happy to have the chance to be with you all again. And I'm also so excited to be part of your journey through the Bible. Uh, so this week's uh, Bridge Churchwide Bible reading should have taken you through Exodus chapters 1 to 11. And I love the book of Exodus. Uh, at Emmanuel English Church, uh, we actually spent a whole year looking at the book of Exodus and we were so blessed by it. We learned so much about the gospel and what it means to trust the gospel uh, through all the ups and downs that God brings us through. Um, you know, when Christians think about the word gospel, I think the first book of the Bible we think of is, is usually Romans. And that's a book that you guys should have finished reading uh, probably last week or two weeks ago. So Romans tells us that the truth of the gospel written in a very well thought out theological letter. Um, so the first part of Romans explains how God has saved people from sin. And the second part of Romans uh, gives a set of instructions for how Christians should live after being saved. When it comes to the gospel, the book of Exodus, which you guys will be looking at for the next couple weeks, it is a perfect complement to Romans. The first part of Exodus from chapters 1 to 19 tells how God saves Israel from slavery. And the second part from chapters 20 to 40 is about how God wants the Israelites to live in light of being saved in a covenant relationship. So both, you know, Exodus and Romans, it is important to understand the gospel. Uh, Romans is sort of more heady, more intellectual. Uh, Exodus is more... It's a very personal way uh, of experiencing things as you live out that truth. And stories, narrative, helps us to do that. And that's why the Bible has so many stories in it, because we're supposed to see ourselves as part of some of these stories and to respond to them. So today we'll be looking at the God who saves in the story and the narrative of the Ten Plagues. So let me, let me give you guys a recap uh, for those of you who may have uh, not had a chance to read the, the, the chapters yet. So, so far in this story, uh, the Israelites have been enslaved, they're, they're suffering, they're, they're calling out to God, and God calls Moses to be his, his representative before Pharaoh to free Israel. And Moses finally responds and he confronts Pharaoh, which is in our scripture reading. Now, 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 when it comes to understanding stories, it's sort of important to know what kind of story is being told. Uh, who, who likes watching movies? If you guys are or, or reading books, I know Pastor Eric loves reading books. Uh, my wife, Evelyn, she loves reading books and she really loves watching movies. She's really into stories. Uh, now, I'm not the type of person who likes movies, but I really like good stories. And, and our stories come out in many different forms. And one type of story that is told a lot is what's called an underdog story. Not sure, do you guys know what an underdog an underdog story is? Uh, so underdog stories are, are ones where, you know, the main character is in a place where they're not expected to win. They're not expected to succeed. Uh, it could be something like, you know, slumdog millionaire or, or, or pursuit of happiness. They're not expected to do well in life or be very rich. 
Um, it could be like a story like, um, you know, like Rocky or, or the blind side. Remember, remember the Titans, right? These, these stories where you know, the main character isn't that strong. He's not expected to win, but he comes out on top. Now, now the common thing about an underdog story is this concept of finding hope and struggle against impossible odds. So usually this story starts off with an obstacle that needs to be defeated. That's really strong. Um, it can be like an impossible life situation uh, that the main character has to go through. Um, and, and, and throughout the story, you know, as we're watching the movie, we're supposed to be the ones wanting the good guys to win. But we're not sure if the good guys can really win because the odds are against them. And that's where the suspense in the story comes in because things start to happen that make it possible for the good guy to come out on top. And that's the type of story that we're reading about today. You know, the story of the Israelites and the 10 plagues is, is an underdog story of, of cosmic significance. It's filled with so much suspense and drama so let me paint you guys a picture of the story that's going on in, in, in this uh, chapter of Exodus. So first we have the bad guys, you know, the might of Egypt. They're, they're cruel, they're undefeatable, they're domineering. And Egypt, they owned the world at the time. It was the greatest superpower of its day. Um, beside Egypt, there were four other great superpowers like Babylon and Assyria and Midianites. All of these were powerful nations, but, Israel, but Egypt ruled them all, and no one could touch Egypt. And the most contested piece of land at that time was, was Canaan in modern-day Palestine. And it happened to be in the middle of these five great powers, and Egypt had actually controlled this, this land of Canaan already. So that's the bad guys. Now, on the other side of the ring, on the other side of this battle, so to speak, are, are the Israelites. Uh, you know, they're basically a nation of slaves. Uh, they've been slaves for as long as they could remember. Uh, they have no land. Uh, they have no army. They have no weapons. They have no economic means to support themselves. And to top it all off, they're led by two old men. All right, Aaron and Moses, they're, they're 80 and 83 years old. How's that for, for a leader? You know, someone's going to lead you into victory, into battle. It's definitely going to be two 80-year-old men. So you have to sort of picture this scene. In this scene, there's these two old men. They're on the verge of death. Um, they're just leading one group of slaves. They walk into first court. He's the most powerful ruler in the world, and they demand that he lets the Israelites grow. So put yourself in Pharaoh's shoes. Wouldn't it just seem like such a joke to you? Wouldn't you be so offended and think, you know, who are you to come to me, Pharaoh, and, and, and demand freedom? No, who dares to have the audacity to demand such things from me? No, didn't you learn when I killed all of your firstborn sons? No, I, I would kill all of you right now if you weren't so valuable for your work. You need to be punished so Pharaoh gives them more work to do. So looking at the situation, you know, any logical person would know that walking into Pharaoh's court demanding freedom was not just impossible, it was asking to be killed. But there's something deeper going on in this story. See, this story isn't just about a group of slaves asking for freedom from a powerful nation or powerful king. This story is actually about God himself 
demanding Pharaoh to let Israel go because of a promise he made to their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, everyone knows that the Israelites have no chance against Pharaoh. That the main question in this story is, who is the God of Israel? Who is Yahweh? What kind of power does he hold? Is he more powerful than the gods of Egypt? Is he more powerful than Pharaoh himself? When, when Moses asks Pharaoh to let Israel go, he doesn't say, we want to stop being slaves. We're tired of working. Let us go. No, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds by, by asking, who's the Lord? Why should I obey the Lord? Why should I obey this God? I don't know the Lord. I'm not going to let these people go. And this is where the need, the tension of the story and suspense begins. Because both Pharaoh, the Egyptians and the Israelites, they don't actually know who God is. You know, in the ancient world, every, every nation had specific gods that they worshipped. And it was believed that the nation that was most successful had the most powerful God. And the Egypt at that time were the strongest. They thought that they worshipped the one true living God. But the truth was they weren't worshiping the one true living God. They were worshiping an idol. They were worshiping idols, just like we read in our, in our uh, prayer, prayer, prayer reading this morning. The Israelites, did they really know who God was? Well, they, they know, knew about this God or their ancestors who made some promises to them. But think about it. It's been 400 years since they last heard from this God. Do you think that if your God didn't save you for 400 years, that you would continue to pray and to worship him? Wouldn't you think that he wasn't there at all, that the other gods of the nations, especially the Egyptians, were, were stronger than the god of your ancestors? And in fact, these Israelites didn't even know this god's name. Right? Moses had to ask God, like, what is your name? And then God had to say, I am that I am. That's what you're going to tell the people. So nobody knows who God is. And this is why the, the 10 plagues is, is so significant, because we start to see God's power at work and how powerful he is. All right, so let, let's, let's continue on in our story. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh laughs at Moses. And then Moses and Aaron, they confront Pharaoh again. Aaron throws down the staff. It becomes a snake. Pharaoh, in turn, he, he actually summons his own magicians. He has his own like group of uh, you know, powerful people. And they do the exact same thing. So why does God decide to do something that he knows that the other side can do? Well, this is the answer. God knows exactly what the Egyptians need to prove himself to be the one true living God. I mean, I mean, if I was God and I could make the staff turn into anything, I would make it turn into like a dragon or like a Gyarados or something way better than a snake. But no, he turns it into a snake and then the snake, this one snake eats up all the other snakes. And the reason why is because the snake was actually the symbol of Egypt, Egypt's greatest god. They believe the snake was, was their god. So God is saying, you know what, you think your god is so powerful. No, I'm going to eat up all your other snakes. I'm going to show myself to be the one true living God. And this is just a picture of what God's going to do through the rest of the 10 plagues. He's going to eat up all the other gods of the Egyptians. He's going to defeat them and show them, I'm the, I'm the true living God. 
And in this act of the 10 plagues, there's actually something really, really important that happens. You know what? Up until now, for thousands of years, or at least a couple thousand, you know, God had not revealed himself to human history. But through these 10 plagues, now the whole world knows who God is. Because God's not just saving Israelites out of slavery, he's revealing who, who he is to the world. You know, when we look at human history, so I'm actually a history major. Uh, I studied history for like five years of my life, uh, history of you know, the world, of China, of Korea, of America. Um, we, we, we tend to think about human history in terms of the great things that people have done. So great inventions like, you know, uh, like the printer or the telephone, uh, great battles that have been won. But for Christians, when we think about human history, we think about it in terms of the things that God has done. The greatest thing that God has done is revealing himself in Jesus. But before that, he revealed himself in the 10 plagues when he saved the Egyptians. And the whole world knew that this God, this powerful God, did all these miracles to save his people. All right. So God is revealing himself in these 10 plagues. And it's written in the Bible because he's also trying to tell us, as his people today, something about himself that he wants us to believe in and to trust in because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't have time to go into all the plagues in detail, but let me summarize the important parts of the story and what it reveals to us about God. So we have these 10 plagues, and the first three, I know the Nile turns to blood, uh, there's frogs appearing out of the water, there's gnats appearing out of the air, the, the, the middle three plagues, there are swarms of flies, uh, the animals die, there are you know, skin sores or boils that appear on people's skin, and then there's a last couple of plagues. There's hail, swarms of locusts, total darkness, and then the death of the firstborn child. When you look at these plagues, they get from bad to worse to horrible. Right? First couple of things are just annoying. The last couple of things is, is, is death. And, and that speaks for itself. Now what's important thing, what's important about these plagues isn't how they happened, but you know, how is God revealing himself in these plagues? And what God is saying to you and to me is that He's the one true living God. He's the only God with real power. You know, all the timing of these plagues, when you read about it, you know, Moses comes in, he says, um, this plague is going to happen tomorrow. It happens. And then Pharaoh says, okay, stop the plague. And then, and then Moses says, well, when do you want me to stop the plague? Pharaoh gives them a time. And then that plague stops the exact time that Pharaoh says it asks for it to be stopped or that Moses says it's going to be stopped. So it really shows that God is sovereign over time. It also shows that you know, God is sovereign over location. What's really interesting about these plagues is that they're not affecting everybody. You know, the, the last couple of plagues, it's very limited. You know, the whole of Egypt was covered in darkness, but where the Israelites lived, there was bright light shining like the sun. All of these swarms of locusts and flies and, you know, were, were bothering the Egyptians. These boils were bothering the Egyptians, but for the Israelites, they were perfectly fine. God's so powerful, he can control all of nature. 
That's what he wants to show you and me. That's what he wants to show the Egyptians and the Israelites. God also wants to show that he is all powerful. You know, the Egyptians believed that there's, there were specific gods that controlled things like water, like the animal, like light and darkness. And God's saying, each of your gods can't really do those things. You think that he can control the water? Well, I'm going to turn your water into blood. What can that God do? You think that your, your God Ra can control the sun and light? Well, no, I'm going to turn everything to darkness. What can your God do? So really God's showing to everybody, I'm the one true living God. You need to believe in me. You, you need to trust in me for salvation. The second thing that God is revealing to you and to me through this story is that he is he's a fearful judge. He is a fearful judge. He, and he wants himself to be known that he is a God who will judge rightly. See, when you look at the ways that God uh, sends the plagues to Egypt, you realize that they're actually quite fair. You know, the first plague was changing the Nile into blood. And guess what? The Nile was the exact same place that Pharaoh killed the firstborn Israelites. So there's this clear parallel. God's saying, you killed the firstborn Israelite babies. I'm going to turn your water into blood. And not only that, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill your firstborn sons. So they were fitting. They were fair. God's a fair God. Secondly, they, they were very scary. Now think about some of these plagues. If they happen, like blood is everywhere in your drinking water, you turn on the tap, darkness for three days, uh, like frogs everywhere. This is very gross. I mean, we see one cockroach in Hong Kong and we're already freaking out. But just think about like locusts and these are so scary. And, and the reason, and another reason why they're scary is because God is completely taking down, you know, the economy of the Egyptians. You know, during COVID-19, so many nations are suffering economically. They can't trade. For the Egyptians, nothing could grow. They couldn't grow crops. They didn't have the water, water in the Nile to grow their crops. There was no sun to grow their crops. There was hail everywhere. They had nothing. You think about you know, giant hailstones coming down from the sky, just smashing, smashing the ground. You'd be so scared of being hit by those hailstones. Some of the Egyptians even died from them. So by the end of these plagues, Egypt, the most powerful, prosperous power, they were devastated. You know, their pride was rightfully crushed. You know, think about the most powerful nation of today. Who who would it be? I, I think there's only two choices, right? Uh, <clears throat> there is there's 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 the East China, and then there's the West. There's America. Think about God. Just he's sending plagues until he's devastated all of these superpowers until they're nothing. That's exactly what he did through the ten plagues. So God, he's showing himself. He is the one true living God. He's all powerful. He's sovereign. He's the fearful judge. But there's one last thing that God shows us. He is also the mighty redeemer. He's a mighty redeemer. I want you guys to, to look at Exodus 6, just one chapter. Exodus 6, verses 6 to 7. Um, I'll, I'll read it for us. 
therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So here we have a similar recap to what we read in chapter 7. You know, there's great judgments. There's going to be plagues. But here, he's speaking about these same acts of judgment in terms of the Israelites, from the Israelites' point of view. And he emphasizes here that he is the God who delivers and redeems. Because what's seen as great and terrible judgments for the Egyptians is seen as a great and mighty act of redemption, of salvation. So you guys to use your imaginations. The TV of your mind lived in slavery. Or, sorry. All right. Um, sorry, I think I was editing on my end. So imagine you're an Israelite. You know, you've lived in slavery for decades of your life. And as a child, you might have heard about the God of your fathers and had hoped that the story you heard about this God promising to save you true. But, you know, as you went on and you your life, it didn't seem like this God was going to do anything. In fact, things only seem to get worse. You know, if your God existed, he probably wasn't strong enough to save you from the other gods. But one day, Moses, he comes into Goshen. He claims that God is going to deliver on his promise. And he starts to perform signs and wonders. You know, the Nile turns to blood. You know, frogs start coming out from the waters. And you start to see that you know, your God is real. You know, he isn't powerless. And for the first time in years, maybe in your whole life, you start to hope, you, know, you think to yourself, you know, maybe the God of my ancestors really can save. And then the plagues continue on in their intensity. Swarms of flies, death of animals, boils appearing on the skin of the Egyptians. And you realize just how terrible these miracles are. And you start to feel fear towards this God. So what if he decides to turn these miracles against me? You know, but at the same time, you're being kept safe. None of these fearful things affect you. You stand in amazement in the light as you see all of these judgments go on to your enemies. And you realize that this God is powerful and he's scary, but this God, he is on your side. He is for you. He's punishing your Egyptian oppressors. He's keeping you safe from harm. And, and this excitement starts to build inside of you as you come to understand more and more that the God of your ancestors is not just real, but powerful. No other gods can defeat him. Pharaoh can't stand up to him. And he's coming to save you from slavery. And in your heart, you start to pray and cry to this God, Yahweh, Lord, do what you promised you would do. And each time you witness a new miracle being performed, you know, your heart starts to rejoice and to praise this God. You know, you're powerless, you're helpless, 
but your God is mighty and strong and he's fighting for you. See, God is so amazing. The gospel is like, it's like a diamond. A diamond has so many faces and, and each angle that you place a diamond at is beautiful in a different way. And God, what he does is so perfect and beautiful. You, you look at the 10 plagues and from one angle, you see that he is a fearful judge. From another angle, you see that he's the God who is all powerful, the one true living God. But you look at it at another angle and you see that God is a savior, a redeemer for his people. So to recap, these 10 plagues reveals that God is the one true living God. He's a fearful judge. He's a mighty redeemer. It's good for us to know here. But the main point of the story isn't that we just understand these three points here. The main point is to let us know that God will be these things to us in our hearts, in our experience, in the world, in human history, whether we like it or not, no matter what that means for us individually, God is going to be God. God is going to be who he is because the plagues revealed who God was through experience. You know, by the end of the plagues, everyone, you know, Pharaoh, the Egyptians, the Israelites, they, know, they knew. They knew at the depths of their heart who the one true living God was. And God was sovereignly behind the whole process to ensure that it happens. And the reason why God did this was to show the world that he was God. He's a God who saves. He's merciful and gracious but he is also a God who is just and righteous. You know what? When we think about the 10 plagues, a question sort of comes to our mind. And the question comes to our mind is, isn't God a little bit unfair? Like how come he would save the Israelites, but punish the Egyptians? Well, there's two answers to this question. The, the first is that both the Israelites and the Egyptians didn't really deserve anything in the first place. In fact, the Egyptians had done so many horrible things to the Israelites that God could have just punished them right away. He could have just killed their firstborn sons and they could have, and the Israelites could have left you know, Egypt sooner. Now, God didn't have to take time to systematically reveal to the Egyptians that he was the one true living God. But he does that because he wants to give them a chance to turn to him. You know, after each of these plagues, Moses comes back to Pharaoh and he's like, are you going to let my people go? And Pharaoh doesn't. But the rest of the Egyptians, actually, as these plagues are happening, they start to realize, oh my goodness, my God that I was worshiping, they're fake. The God of the Israelites is the one true living God. So when you read these 11 chapters, you know, first the court officials and then the, the, the magicians and then the whole people acknowledge that Yahweh is the one true living God. The only person who doesn't acknowledge it at the end is actually Pharaoh himself. And some of these, and some of these Egyptians actually go with the Israelites. You know, when you read the, about the Exodus, it says that a mixed multitude went out from, uh, from Egypt. And that's because some of the Egyptians decided to follow this one true living God. So God was actually very fair, very merciful, not just to the Israelites, but to the Egyptians. 
because these Egyptians were living in idolatry. They had no clue about who this God was, but they were giving a chance to know him and to respond to him. So this brings us back to ourselves. You know, God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the one true living God. He's still sovereign and powerful. He's still the mighty redeemer and fearful judge. And God is going to be God for everyone sooner or later. The question is, you know, who will he be for you? Is he going to be your redeemer like the Israelites? Or is he going to be your judge like the Egyptians? If you know God as Redeemer today, because you've trusted in his son who saved you from your sins, you should let who God is change how you think and feel and act. You know, imagine the Israelites, you know, as you're witnessing these plagues go by, they're actually growing with a sense of fear and wonder and joy because they're being saved. That's the same reaction we should have as those who have been redeemed. You know, wonder at God's work in your life. Wonder at the ways that he has saved you from your sin, how he's brought you into a new community. You know, sing to him, worship him. Second thing you can do is, is take comfort. You know, it's so comforting to know that God is your redeemer. You, you can be confident in it. Even when it doesn't feel like God is working, you know, for those Israelites, it didn't seem for, for so many years that God was actually working to save them, but he was. And there are so many times in our life when we don't feel like God is saving us. We feel so stuck in our sin. We feel like so stuck with our struggles in life, you know, struggles with living in Hong Kong, with finances, with sickness and illness. There's so much hopelessness and hostility. But God is our redeemer. He, he's your redeemer. Take heart. Let the story encourage you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The last thing we should do is, is to also be warned. You know, God is either going to be our redeemer or he's going to be our judge. So if you don't know him as your redeemer, this is an invitation for you to know him as your redeemer. To turn to him, to want to worship him, to want to know who he is. Because if you don't, then those plagues that we read about is also a warning, a warning for us that if we don't acknowledge who God is, then we will be judged in the same way. God's going to be God over our life. So let me pray for us um, as we you know, reflect once again on, on who God is and turn our hearts to him and respond. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you that you are such a powerful and mighty redeemer for us who have believed. Help us to see that you're working such a powerful work of salvation in our lives, just like the Israelites, even more than the Israelites, God. You're doing that through us in our lives. You've done that for us already. Help us to rejoice in it. Help us to take comfort in it, even in our darkest times. God, I also pray that you would give us uh, fear in our hearts, Lord. Fear as we think about these plagues that you sent to judge uh, the Egyptians who, who didn't want to obey you, Lord. Uh, pray that we would be fearful of you. We, we would learn what it means to fear you, Lord. And we pray, God, that um, as we do that, more and more people would know who you are. 
would, would your gospel, would, would, would what you've done for us continue to transform us? Yes, we pray. Amen.